0: we've got hockey talk those are the moments you're a sports fan for Um, those are the moments where you know you're down through nothing and the team has this amazing comeback and the guy who you want who you really are thinking this needs to be the star of this team has a hat trick we've got beer it has a unicorn on the can an easy drinking beer that's just
1: delicious we want to help you understand the sport you love better.
0: What kind of things are you looking for to understand the game better? What, you know, what's a couple of things someone who's watching a game at home when things start up here in a few weeks, or if they're watching college hockey, what's going on right now? What kind of things would they be looking for to try and understand the game better or what's happening in the game, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it's, it's something that's evergreen. Um...
1: Listen to Jacket's Debrief, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And available wherever fine podcasts are
0: downloaded. Welcome Brad to New York. Oh.
1: Devil's, the Devil's State of State Mind, Mind podcast. podcast brought to brought you, by, to the you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now,
0: here's, now here's, your here's, host, here's your host, Neil Neal Villapiano. Villapiano. <laughs> what is going on, Devils fans? It is once again your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome back to another edition of the Devils State of Mind Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. As always, thank you guys so very much for taking some time out of your day to check this episode out. We do greatly, greatly appreciate it. We always have you know, big news to talk about, You know, some really cool ideas that come up every now and then. We have news about the Devils. We have great content. We also have tremendous special guests, and today, is certainly not an exception, as today we had on another special guest, a first-time guest here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. He is a soccer and tennis writer for the Vivelle USA, and he also is a writer for the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights on the Puck Authority website. So just like Jersey Joe, he's actually a friend of Jersey Joe, and it was a pleasure to welcome on Elias Lorati. To the Devil's State of Mind podcast, we discussed both the Canadians and the Vegas Golden Knights situations going into this upcoming season. We also talked about, again, some of the more up-to-date latest news about the start time of the upcoming 2021 NHL season. So I hope you guys are ready for this one. This was a great interview. And again, thank you very much to Elias for coming on to speak with us for a little while. We do greatly, greatly appreciate it. So sit back. Relax and enjoy this one-on-one interview with Puck Authority's own Elias Lorati. All right, Devils fans and also hockey fans, because I know there's a lot of uh, hockey fans in general that listen to this podcast. We have another special guest for you today. That's right. You know, here in season two, we're getting, it seems like we're getting a new guest every single week. And, that, and that's important, especially when we're still waiting for the NHL season to not only start, but actually be determined when it's actually going to start. But today we have somebody who is, you know, a first time on here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. And it is a man who covers both the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. And to be honest with you, there is some news that kind of, uh, I guess you would say not rumors, but something that was brought up in discussion via Devil's World about, you know, involvement with Montreal and or Vegas. And we'll, we'll get into that, obviously. But it is a pleasure to welcome on Elias Lorati. Elias, welcome to the Devil's State of Mind podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have you on. I'm sure. I'm sure our listeners are very excited to uh, to hear what you have to say. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on today. We really do appreciate it.
1: No, it's a pleasure. I haven't been doing these podcasting for a long time. I've only started in the summer, so it's pretty cool to get my word out. You know, get that exposure going. So I'm really excited.
0: Absolutely, it's uh, you know I started with the you know hockey podcast network and doing the double State of Mind back in June, so it's only been about six months for myself. And uh, you know, obviously, with podcasting in general, it's become such a popular thing, especially since the beginning of the COVID nineteen pandemic. And speaking of the COVID nineteen pandemic, we obviously are getting a little bit of you know positive news that there's a good chance that the Pfizer vaccine looks like it could be approved by the FDA. Within the next couple of days. So that's a positive sign here in the United States. And uh especially here in New Jersey, you know, things have kind of gotten a little rough. Um, you know, dealing with the, the pandemic. But hopefully, with you know, not just this vaccine, but with several others coming down the road, we can really start to get back to, I guess, the new form of normal, if that kind of makes sense. So that should be fun. But uh but Elias, let's, let's jump right into it. So like I mentioned before, you cover both the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about their offseason and what the expectations are for their teams. As also just some rumors, more particularly with Vegas really than, than Montreal. But I, I wanted to get your take on that. And we'll also discuss the latest news that we have gotten from the NHL about the start date. So let's, as I always say, let's drop the puck and let's start talking about the Habs or the Montreal Canadians in case people didn't know that that was their nickname but let's start with this the canadians finished last season losing in the quarterfinals of the stanley cup playoffs to the philadelphia flyers my first question to you, elias is this were you surprised how i guess you would say how far and how successful the canadians were in the 2014 playoff
1: i mean honestly last year was was up and down they had a really good start then they got the trade deadline and I need to make a decision, you know, um, do we sell, do we buy, do we make a push? And Montreal, unfortunately, they had gone through two eight-game losing streaks, which didn't help them at all. Um, they were lacking consistency. Max Domi had a, had an off year after, you know, 72 points in his first season with Montreal. Um, so he decided to buy and then sell. So basically, they had acquired Ilya Kovalchuk, um, Marcos and, um, I'm to someone else, uh, yeah, anyways, so that it looked like they were making a push for the playoffs and then they started losing more games than actually winning. So then, uh, trade, deadl- trade deadline, there were a lot of have players on the market. And of course, first traded trade them to acquire assets right. and they were deemed sellers. Then the pandemic hit and everyone thought, okay, there's no way they're going to let the Habs in. This is basically, you know, season over. But then when they came out with the 2014 playoff, they were thrown in that mix. And actually it was really funny had had they had they uh, lost to buffalo their second to last game, it yeah. would have been Buffalo instead of Montreal. So it was literally that close to them making it and not making it. And, you know, they were facing the Pittsburgh Penguins in the in the playing round. No one thought they were gonna win. Everyone thought, okay, this is gonna be Pittsburgh in three. You have Sidney Crosby, you have Genny Malkin, right. you have Matt Murray, you know. But I have to admit, like I, I covered the training camp, you know, the second training camp that happened and mm-hmm. Me too. I was a little bit hesitant. You know, I, I had spoken with Steve Mears, who does the play-by-play for the Pittsburgh right. Penguins, just to get some little insight of what to expect. And, you know, everyone thought this was going to be, like I said, one-way traffic. And like, like everyone expected, it was a shock. Like no right. one thought it coming. But in the proven record, if you give Carey Price time to rest and he's fully healthy, he is the most dangerous goaltender in mm-hmm. the world. Yes, and yes. it proved that five months off, he was fully rested. He was he had a little bit of like injuries here and there, but you know, it came time to rest. And then that gave the team confidence. So then you have a Shea Weber, you have a Jeff Petrie, you have Nick Suzuki who played lights out. No one was expecting him to play that. You had Jesperi Kakaniami chipping in, you know, he's always been up and down. And people always say, Oh, well, maybe they shouldn't have taken him at three. Maybe right. they should have taken Brady or, you know, someone else. So, you know, it was it was good. They got past the round, they beat Pittsburgh and then they were playing the hottest team before the before the pandemic and after the pandemic because right. the Flyers had won three games going to of the round robin. Mm-hmm. Plus, they had won their previous ten before the pandemic, so everyone thought they were hot. You know, they were playing Carter Hart, which was basically a 21 year old version of of Carey Price. <laughs> so, in my opinion, it was always an up-and-down series. You know, unfortunately, we had our coach who had to lead because of a, of a health issue. Right. So we throw in Kirk Muller. And surprisingly, you know, they end the first game back, they end up beating them 5 nothing. But the lack of Montreal is consistency. They need to have consistent scores throughout their group. And I feel this like Montreal didn't have that. They got shut out two games in a row.
0: Yeah. And
1: those two games, had they scored goals, had they had more offensive output, then I think it would have been a tighter series I maybe think maybe Montreal would have squeezed that went out in seven. And um, it was really interesting to see what Bergman would do in the offseason. Is he going to continue selling? Right. They're going to start a rebuild? Or is he actually going to try to, you know, improve his team? And apparently what I was told from my sources is that what Bergman saw in the bubble really lifted him up. It gave him confidence to say, okay, you know, we're not going to do a rebuild. We're not going to do a retool. Right. We're gonna go, we're actually gonna do stuff, you know. For for the last three, four seasons, Montreal had eight, nine million dollars in cap space that they weren't spending. Right. You know what happened with uh with Radulov and Markov and they're like, yeah. Okay, well you we have this money, go spend it. Because mm-hmm. he kept saying I'm not gonna spend money just to spend money, like it has to make sense, it has to be good for our team, you know, we have to see the value. And he actually did something that no one saw coming. He actually got players that were that field holes in Montreal's lineup. Right, trading trading Adomi, who had probably two bad seasons, for Josh Anderson. Now, Josh Anderson, everyone is skeptical because he had one yeah. game. He had, yeah,
0: uh, he had a rough 2019-2020 season. There, he had a separate
1: uh, separated shoulder. Right. Everyone's wondering how's the shoulder, how's because a lot of injuries. Right, the player, even if they come back, they're never at the same. So mm-hmm. again, Bergman again is taking a gamble on Anderson, but I feel like. It might be a positive one. And then you add Tyler Toffoli, yeah. who, who I watched because I, I covered Vegas. So when I saw Vegas against Vancouver, I saw him a lot. And I think he's going to be good for a second or third line. He's going to help Suzuki. He's going to help Kaka and Yeah. And then finally, for years, I've been saying Montreal needs a backup goalie to give Carey Price some
0: rest. You had Keith Kincaid, the former New Jersey devil, for a little while. and I And I said to a bunch of people, I said, I feel like Canadian fans are going to really not like him after a couple of games. They're really going to get annoyed with him. It
1: was weird. I When Kincaid was in New Jersey, I liked him because he was actually good. He brought them to the playoffs. They lost, I think, one in the first round. He was but okay. Still, I,
0: he, was, he was okay. I mean, it, you know, he got hot at the right time, and as a result, in exactly. the playoffs. But once they got in the playoffs and took on Tampa, he just went back to being, you know, the Kincaid that I had seen before. And, and so that was, you know, I knew that was only, like, going to be for – a little bit. I didn't I, I didn't have as much confidence as other people did in Keith Kincaid, but that's my opinion.
1: Yeah, so because they, they said that Terry Price, you know, sometimes he needs three or four days off. You know, he's getting older. Yeah. You know, so finally, Jake Allen comes in as our backup. Now, I think this is going to be really solidified because if we're looking actually at a condensed schedule due to the due to COVID pandemic, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. Yeah, Allen's playing at least 20, 25 games, and it gives you that confidence because Jake Allen in St. Louis last year was 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 amazing. Like yeah. he he played a half the game, unfortunately. You know, I think Banting had that sophomore slump that we always talk about. So that's another good move. Um, Joel Edmondson, you know, shore up that defense. It
0: was really good. You play. know,
1: with with Kulak and Woollett. I mean, they were trying their best. Kulak really was playing well. Willette was sort of iffy. Mete sort of dropped his level a little bit. But really, that's, that's, it gives confidence, especially in the fact that we might be playing an all Canadian division, you know, it it could be like Montreal's, you know, maybe factor to be in that top three, top four of that division.
0: Yeah. So, um, so obviously I'll I'll try to catch up to you because I I wrote down a bunch of stuff that I wanted to get your opinion on. You kind of, you kind of did, but yeah, when I, when I look at the Canadians, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned about, you know, Buffalo almost got in. It's funny had the Devils won their last game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, they actually would have jumped both of those teams and been the last team that got in. So it it was funny how, when we saw like, what were the requirements and saw the Devils were like a point away, it was like, it sucks. But at the same time it kind of worked out for us because it gave the team time to, you know, find a G, you know, really hire a GM, get a head coach and, and build the team the way that um, Tom Fitzgerald wants to build them. But yeah, I mean, I thought that, you know, I personally felt that if Kerry Price was given an opportunity to play in a five-game series, I think he had the advantage. And I think the Penguins knew that. I think they knew that they were going to have a tough time against Kerry Price. I don't think they were necessarily worried about the rest of the team as much. But once you saw guys like Nick Suzuki, Kaki, Kine, Kaki Niemi, and other guys like that stepping up, I think that's where it just kind of, you had that oh-no moment, like Pittsburgh is isn't, in isn't isn't a lot of trouble. And as a result the Canadians won. And I think that that was, that was great. And, you know, obviously being a Devils fan and covering the Devils, it would have been nice to see the Canadians not only win, but also to knock out the Flyers that would have kind of, you know, really made my whole year. And, you know, Kirk Muller being a former New Jersey devil taking over for Claude Julian, another former New Jersey devil head coach. uh, You know, I had a little bit of, you know, I was a little bit of a fan you could say of the Habs because I wanted to see them go Very far, especially being the 24th team out of the 24 teams that got into the bubble. But they couldn't uh, they couldn't finish you know finish that job. But still, I think they finished the year on a high note. I was a little bit surprised by the Max Domi trade, but once I heard about what was the reasoning behind it and everything, I think it made a lot of sense. And Josh Anderson, here's the thing: if they had gotten him a year before, I would have said, yeah, that's a that's a tremendous move. But because he got hurt. And because he only had four points, a goal, three assists, and then they signed him to a seven-year extension with an AAV, with average annual value of seven, of what, five and a half million per year. I said, that is a huge gamble. I mean, they really must have faith that Josh Anderson can turn that around. So I was, I was like, oh, that is, that is rough, but you know, hey, Mark Vergevan, he likes to take some gambles every now and then, and uh, that just happened to be one of them. But, you know, it was really weird. And then the Tyler Toffoli signing was, I think, honestly, when I looked at all the signings throughout the offseason, that was the best one. That was the one that I said, that makes the most sense because not only do you look at the years, but look at the money that Tyler Toffoli is getting. Four years, $17 million deal with an average annual value of $4.25 million. That is really good. I really like the years. I like the the amount of money. I feel like it gives the Canadians a little bit of breathing room to make some other moves down the road if they need to do that. And that was really a good thing. And then getting Jake Allen. I mean, look, Jake Allen is still relatively young, and he could still very well play 20, 25, 30 games, even as a backup. He can be very, very solid. And he looked pretty good in the bubble when he took over for Bennington. So I think finally having that legit backup goaltender for Carey Price is good. I think sometimes Price needs four or five days to kind of rest and, you know, focus on just working with his goalie coach and doing things like that. And I think that was a smart move. So I I think all in all, when you look at the moves that this team has made, they really were smart. The Anderson one still is a question mark because of the extension. Had they just gotten him and just, you know, rolled with him this year? Okay. But the extension is definitely concerning, but hopefully it does work out for them. And then obviously also they gave an extension to Brendan Gallagher, six years, $6.5 million cap hit. It's about time I think Brendan Gallagher got more money. I mean, I think he was making, what, $3.5 million over the last couple of years. So the fact that he finally is getting, you know, the money that he kind of deserves, even though he is a little bit on the older side, I think is really good. So I think all in all, when you look at the off-season moves, Elias, uh, the Canadians, I would give them like a B plus, honestly, considering what they were able to, do, to accomplish.
1: No, I, uh, I definitely agree. And to that point on Josh Anderson, uh, actually, when they got him, they actually spoke with the surgeon and his doctor, and they're like, can we see the actual medical files? And I heard the medical files were actually sent to the Canadian's doctor to oh. review to make sure that he was actually 100% and his shoulder would be back to normal. That was one of the main factors. And I guess they were, they were happy with the, with the results and said, we might as well just keep him, and you know he's going to be uh, half for a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's a, that's obviously good news for the Canadians. That's good news for, for Josh Anderson, and I know that, uh, you know, I'm sure Anderson is going to be very excited to play for the Habs and also, you know, kind of get – I wouldn't necessarily say a fresh start, but obviously getting an opportunity to play with, a, with an up-and-coming team, a young team, a talented team. This is a Canadian's team that even in a 52- or 56-game season, whatever you want to – whatever is decided, I think it's a team that can make the playoffs. I really do. I think that they're capable of it. I think when you look at guys like Philip Deneau – Jonathan Drouin. yeah, you know, Kotkaniemi. Kat, I, I always screw up with his name, and I really okay, feel yeah.
1: bad. Everyone does. Everyone does. Don't worry I try
0: about. to say it fast like I know what I'm talking about, but I always screw it up. Nick Suzuki, and I believe it – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Suzuki was originally part of the Vegas Golden Knights organization, correct? Yeah, exactly. He was in the Patriot trade. Right. He was in the Patriot trade, and to be honest with you, considering what Vegas is trying to do right now, I think that the Canadians definitely won – that deal. And so I want to say, and also, you know, you have Tyler Toffoli, Arturi, Lekanen, who I will say this about Arturi. I feel like for some reason this year, and I don't know what it is exactly. I feel like this is going to be that year where he really, really takes off with his development. I really do think that he's going to be able to take that next step being a fast, you know, puck handling type of player. I really think that he's going to be able to really give an extra amount of scoring and an extra amount of playmaking for this young team. Canadians team. What do you think?
1: No, I uh, definitely agree. He's always been that, that winger for the second, third line. You know, he, he's hard worker. You know, he's that type of nice guy, very quiet, you know, finish. So he has a lot of skill. Just I think maybe, again, he needs a little more consistency. Because I think right now he's averaging maybe what, like 10 goals a season. Mm-hmm. So he needs to get a, that extra level. And, you know, he, I, I agree with you. I think this year, you know, with, with the help that Bergeron has brought in, you know, it, it could help him a lot.
0: Now, I have a couple more questions uh, involving the Canadians before we shift over to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, my, my next question to you, Elias, is this. What player, out of all the guys that the Canadians have, who do you think is going to make the biggest impact this season?
1: This season, honestly, um, I would have to say Tyler Foley. I really feel like he's going to be the guy who's going to come in, rally the boys. I saw how he is in Vancouver. He's feisty. He's rowdy. He's, you know, he's that guy who's really going to pump them up, especially playing with a guy like Brendan Gallagher. Yep. It was literally the heart and soul of Montreal. This guy will go night in, night out. Even if he has a broken face, he's going to go into the front of the net. And, right. You know, honestly, if, if he if – the of the open jaw, broken jaw, if, uh, if he wanted to, he probably said, he, he, I, I would have played 100%. I would have played. So, um, yeah, I think him and, him and the full are going to be a good match, you know, and he's going to push. And keep in mind that the last time it was a lockout season, which was 2013-2014 – the Canadians finished first in their division and they actually made it all the way to the Eastern conference final. Yeah. So a lockout season, I feel like with Montreal, it's like at the beginning, they're very, very good. Like the first 10, 20 games, they're like, mm-hmm. there was one year they were like 10 and one in their first 11 games. Right. And then as the season goes on, they start to go on this, go up,
0: go and they right. Start going down. Right.
1: So, I mean, if it's a shorter season, you know, the more condensed matches, you know, it'll be, they'll be able to, you know, rest carry price properly play Jake Allen a lot, you know, they'll probably, uh, if it's 56, they'll probably split the games probably. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, definitely. It's going to be, it's going to be a good year, I think for Montreal.
0: Yeah. I think this should be a a year where they kind of take that next step towards being a team that can eventually be a consistent playoff contender. And then also eventually and hopefully a, a Stanley cup contender, because, you know, look again, it's, it's been a long time since it was, uh, what 1990, 1993. So uh, yeah. I think the I think the Canadian fans are getting pretty uh, annoyed that they haven't been back at least to the Stanley Cup Finals. But I think the way Mark Bergevin has done things, especially this year, realizing that you know you have this cap space, you might as well take advantage of it, especially when there is opportunity to make your team better. I think he finally did that, and and I could speak about that from the Devils' perspective because if you look at the last several years with Ray Shiro being the general manager. We always have had a lot of cap space, usually some of the most cap space in the National Hockey League, and we haven't really used it. And I'm not saying that we completely used it this year because, you know, we still have about $13, 14000000 million in cap space, but the fact that we still were able to use some of it to acquire some good talent and uh, to help out fill some, you know, needs on the bottom six and also in the defense is really good. And, you know, look, I understand from a fan's perspective, everybody wants to see your team spend the cap, When you have it, when you have a lot of money, you want to see your team spend it. The reality is sometimes is that teams just don't want to make it because it may not be a right fit for them or they're waiting for a bigger player to be available, you know, and things like that. I remember, I think it was last year when the Patrick Laine rumors first started coming out about, you know, he didn't want to play Winnipeg anymore. The Jets were trying to move him. I knew that a lot of people, you know, working with the Montreal Canadiens and, you know, covering them they said the Canadians were really, really interested in trying to get him there. And, you know, because they had the cap space even to give him at the time to give him the money that he wanted. But Mark van decided not to not pull the trigger. I think it kind of worked out for them. But that's kind of an example of what I'm saying, where sometimes teams don't, you know, even though they, you, know, you would think as a fan, they should make the move, they may not make the move for a bunch of reasons that are not reported and not put out into, um, you know, into the uh, world. So, you know, it, it it was still a very good, you know, off season for Mark Bergevin. I think that he's going to ride with this team. I don't expect him to make any moves either before the season starts or when it gets going. But it all could just depend on where things go, you know, as the season actually starts and everything. I'm not totally sure. And Elias, you can tell me if, if you know. But I'm not sure if they're actually going to have a trade deadline this year because of the fact that it's only a 52, 56-game season. Am I correct on that? Um,
1: to be honest, uh, I actually, I was just listening to insider trading on TSN. Um, they didn't really speak about it, but they said that every trade is going to have access. It was actually a very, uh, big uh, question brought up due to the fact that the Canada U S border is closed. Right. What happens if a player from the American side gets traded to a team in Canada? Right. And they said, listen, all trades are open. You know, if it's a business, it's a market. If a Canadian team wants to get a a player from the U S team, the U.S. player will have to come, will have to follow quarantine regulations, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. So they'll just make it that much difficult. But that seems to be the hurdle. But uh, no, like, I, I, I think all trades are going to be open for sure.
0: Yeah, I did see an article written by The Score here in the United States that mentioned that. You know, Pierre Lebrun did mention that as well. And, you know, that'll be an interesting, you know, dilemma to see if any team actually feels confident. Uh, now, if teams in the United States or teams in Canada are making trades with each other, that's not, that's not as difficult. But if an American team is making a trade with a Canadian team, that will be really intriguing to see how that whole process goes down. I know that the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jim Rutherford, said that he's probably not going to be as aggressive as he usually is because of that whole restriction, because of all of that with the quarantine. So that'll be really interesting. But I guess my, my final question to you about the Montreal Canadiens, Elias, is simply this. Where do you personally see the Canadians finishing this season? Um,
1: in an all-Canadian division, I would see them honestly in the in the top four. Okay.
0: So you definitely see them as a playoff team.
1: Exactly. I think right. they will make the playoffs. And I have this feeling, like I said, you know, lockout season, less games, more time for carry to rest. Um, they, can go, they can go far, I feel. How far, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure they will make the playoffs and, you know, maybe they'll win a round or two.
0: Well, I you know I always say this when I uh, when I do my broadcasting for the Jersey Shore Whalers junior hockey team that I, I uh, work for. I always say hockey is such a magical, unpredictable sport, and you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, you could put down bets, you could be like, oh, I'm I'm pretty sure of this, but at the end of the day, because it's so unpredictable, you never really know what's going to happen. And this year in particular, I, I don't think anybody could could say with definitive certainty that uh, that something could happen. So we'll we'll see, but. Let's shift over from the Habs and let's focus on the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, the Golden Knights have had an interesting offseason, and it's not done because they still have to do some stuff to be uh, cap-friendly, I guess you would want to call it that. But let's let's start with this. The Golden Knights finished last season in – I don't know if people want to say it's embarrassing because some – I know some Golden Knights fans say that we're kind of Embarrassed that they lost in the conference finals to a Dallas Stars team that they felt were they were much better than. And Vegas not only lost, but they got outplayed a lot in that conference finals. Now I don't know if that had to do with how they played against the Vancouver Canucks in the series before, and they used up all their energy. So when they got to the conference finals, they just weren't you know locked in, or because of the fact that Dallas brought in their defensemen as like extra forwards, that it was just hard to defend. But whatever you want to say. Vegas, once again, was not able to make it back to the Stanley Cup finals. But, you know, you got to give them credit for the fact that they've been this competitive and this close to winning a Stanley Cup after just three seasons of being in the National Hockey League. And then I think, you you know, that's a really impressive job by their ownership. And then you go into this offseason where I think Vegas fans would say, we are trying to find the last missing piece to what we hope is a Stanley Cup puzzle. We have talent on the forwards. We have, you know, solid defensemen. We have two really good goaltenders. Now we got to figure out what exactly are we missing? And I think what they were looking for is that number one defenseman. Even though I would argue that Shea Theodore is a number one defenseman, that's my opinion. I think he's going to be a a future Norris Trophy winning defenseman. That's that's my opinion. I talked with the guys from the Vegas Born podcast, and they kind of uh, agree with me on that. But they went out and got the biggest named free agent in the market, to which I said – how in the hell did they even have the money to do this? Because it didn't seem realistic at, at the point. But they went out and signed defenseman Alex Petrangelo to a seven-year $61.6 million contract, which was a holy crap type of situation. So my first question to you, Elias, is did you did one, did you think that the Vegas Golden Knights had a legitimate shot originally to get? Oaks and number two. What was your reaction when they actually were able to sign him?
1: Um, so I'm going to give you a yes and a yes. <laughs> so basically, uh, when I when I heard that Vegas was in on the Petriandre rumor, um, I knew they were going to get him. I had I had a really really good feeling. Um, and to explain what happened in the playoffs, it was actually really weird because around robin, they started off really really strong, and they were they were the Golden Knights that I had recognized. I had just been seeing them playing. Right. Then they went to Chicago. Chicago, for them, was, was super easy. you know. It wasn't, you know, despite
0: Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Kubalik, Corey Crawford standing on his head in game four or five, whatever it was. I don't remember what yeah. game it was. But then they got to Vancouver, and it was
1: like they were stunned. Like they were facing a backup goalie, and the sticks went – you know the saying, the sticks went silent? Yes. That's literally what happened. The sticks went silent. They managed to pull it off in, I think, what, it was seven games. Seven games, yep. And then they get to Dallas, and I think they were still in, like, they were still in a phase of shock from the previous round. Yeah. And sort of got to them mentally, and they're like, okay, well, I think, I really feel like they got full of themselves a little bit. Like, they're like, okay, you know, this is going to be good. We're going to make it all the way to the cup. We're winning the cup this year. They were so high on themselves that, like even the last game that they played against Dallas when they lost, Coach uh Pete Deboer literally sent his press conference, I didn't know what to say to them because I was so hundred percent sure that we were gonna win.
0: Right. Yeah. And,
1: right. No, go and honestly it was
0: it was I was it was a shock. Like no one saw this coming, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It was you know you know the funny thing, uh, and I mentioned this before about Pete DeBoer is that uh Especially speaking from the Devils' perspective, because he ended up becoming the head coach in the 2011-2012 season, and you know he took the Devils to the Stanley Cup Finals his first year. Then he goes to San Jose and does the exact same thing. So when he got hired after Gerard Gallant got let go, which I will say was a shock to me because the team was playing well, and I know that they, I think they were in second or third place when they let him go, and I, you know, it was definitely a shock. I didn't really figure out what exactly the reason was, but. It was funny because it was one of those situations where it was like I guess even though you have beaten them you could still join them so to speak because Pete DeBoer had been let go by the San Jose Sharks because of their you know very bad start to the season and you know everything else like that but I, I remember saying to people when the Vegas Golden Knights time I said I swear to god they're going to end up in the Stanley Cup finals because this is what Pete DeBoer does so once they got to the conference finals against Dallas I said I told you guys this is going to happen like he does this I don't know what it is he has this ability to wear his first year with a team, he just the team just plays you know tremendously. And I and I said after Vegas got past Vancouver, I said, you know, even though Dallas is playing well, I just don't think that they have enough to get past Vegas with all of the talent that they have. But you can't win on talent alone. And also, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of luck, or as I like to call it, having the magic juju going on. And, and certainly, Anton Udobin and that defensive core of. The Dallas Stars had it going on from start to finish, and they really took it to Vegas, and it was a shock. It really was, and I think, you know, like you mentioned, Vegas was shocked by how the series against Vancouver went. I think they were doubly shocked once they got underway with Dallas and said, who is this team? Where did they come from? Why? Like, how are they beating us? Oh, and by the way, neither, you know, Jamie Benn nor Tyler Sagan were really doing anything. It was everyone else doing it, so it was definitely – a disappointment. And, um, you know, I felt bad for, um, what was it? Um Who was the young defenseman that took a penalty in game five in overtime?
1: Oh, it was uh, Zach Whitecloud. Whitecloud, right. And I like
0: Whitecloud a lot. I love yeah, I, I love, that. He's, I love him. he's
1: a great guy. He's a great
0: he, kid. Yeah. And I felt so bad because he was sitting there in the penalty box after he scored and he was crying his eyes out because he knew, he knew that that, that you know, whether you want to say it or not, it kind of cost them a chance to at least force it to a game seven. But, you know, I'm sure Vegas is looking at it and saying, hey, look, we have a relatively balanced team. I mean, we do have some older guys and we don't know how many more years they have being ultra competitive. You know, we want to try to win at least one Stanley Cup before we really have to, you know, change it up. And look, did anybody think Vegas was going to, you know, be as competitive as they were when they first got in the league? No, nobody did. And everybody thought they were going to, you know, they were going to trade off everybody at the deadline their first year, but they were so good. It was like, you know, we we can't do anything about it. So their kind of first, their their first rebuild is still yet to happen. Um, it will eventually happen. I don't know when. I can't predict the future. But they definitely got the biggest prize, like we mentioned, Alex Petrangelo. And uh, I, I can, you know, you, you said with, with very with very much confidence that you believe that Petrangelo was definitely going to be a Vegas Golden Knight.
1: Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. And um, yeah, I felt bad for White Cloud too. You know, they were up two nothing in that game. And they let me get them back in. And, you know, for some reason, I felt that when they tied, I just, I just, I just had this, this sick feeling in my stomach, like, like we're in trouble. Like, something's going to happen here that's, like, it's not going to go well. So, yeah. uh, again, but, uh, again, like, this year, you know, they have another chance to go t- to go do it again. Um, I don't know how many, how many times they, they can do it, you know, in their window. So, yeah. it will be interesting to see, especially what happens with the, the division that they're in.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Honestly, I think probably I heard it's one of the weaker divisions because you have the three teams of California,
0: mm-hmm.
1: have Arizona, and then you have. Um, I'm trying to think, who else they would have in that division? Well, I know
0: that I know that Dallas is originally in that division, but I did hear that they they want out of that. Yeah, division. they want to
1: move them to the Central.
0: They want to move them, and they want to move Minnesota. I think to the yeah. West, which I think is suicidal, in my opinion.
1: I agree because if you look at the geographic map. Imagine if Minnesota has to go to Vegas, like, means, one, one, more in five times.
0: It's a it makes no sense to me. Like, I get it. I mean, I get why Dallas is complaining. But at the same time, it's like, you know, hey, this is not going to be a permanent thing. This is going to be yeah. a, you know, most likely it's going to be a one-year thing. And you know what? I'm a Devils fan. You think I'm happy that we have to play Boston and, you know, Pittsburgh and Washington and, you know, everyone else in that damn. We have, we're playing in the hardest division and we have no say in anything. The only thing that we could do is play in the central division, and I don't want to play in that. So, you know, when people are saying, oh, I don't want to play in this division or that, it's like, dude, tough, you know, tough, you know what? You know, like, don't, like, stop complaining. It's one season, it's 50 some odd games, it's hockey. Anything can happen.
1: I agree with that statement 100%. And uh, it's going to be a tough year for a lot of teams. Um, you know, but as if staying on Vegas, you know, I think they have a good chance of competing for the Cup this year. They got two solid goaltenders. I don't know if they'll keep both of them. Uh, there was a little bit of controversy, but right. uh, because another problem with Vegas is that with the Petriangelo deal, they're over the cap, so they have to trade Nate Schmidt. But they still need to shed. They still need to shed like seventy million dollars. And uh, rumor-wise, you know, a couple days ago we heard about Pat- Max Pacioretty, and everyone was like, "Wait, the guy scored thirty-two goals last year, and you're, you're gonna, gonna- trade him?" Trade him. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And then, actually, got it got so high up that Bill Foley, actually yesterday released a statement saying we are not looking at trading Max Pacioretty. So no. now, so now we're looking at possibly Jordan Marsh or, so, or like, you know, someone. Because for now, ten percent over the cap. But the night before the season, they have to be cap compliant. So
0: right.
1: it's gonna it's gonna be tough to see who who else they have to uh, get rid of.
0: Yeah, and I was actually going to bring it up. Obviously, with this signing up for Trangelo, they had to make, you know, they've had to make a bunch of moves. They, they traded Nate Schmidt. They traded uh, Paul Stastny back to the Winnipeg Jets.
1: Yeah, And yeah. they're
0: still about – how many? How much money are they over the cap at the moment? I think it's another 7 Another $7 million. So, obviously, that's a lot. And yeah. then, they, you know, the, the the reports that I'm hearing about players that could be on the trading block are Marc-Andre Fleury, Jonathan Marcheseau, and Max Petrietti. And even though Foley did come out and say we're not trading him, you may not have a choice. You may you may not have a choice in the matter. It might be a situation where I don't know, if, I don't th- I don't know out of those three guys, Patrick's making the most amount of money, but he might be the one that has to go and might have the most interest from other teams. He is 30, what, he's 32 years of age. So, you know, teams might not be willing to take up that entire salary. They, you know, Vegas might have to do something where They'd have to take up half of one of these guys' salaries just to make it possible. But, you know, it's going to be really interesting. And, look, because of the fact, again, we're trying to figure out when the NHL season starts, and we'll get into that news in just a minute, you know, Vegas has to make a move soon. They can't, you know, keep, continue to let this let this go. And I know there's a lot of frustration within the Vegas Golden Knights locker room about the fact that they've heard a bunch of these guys on the trading block, and they're not happy about it. So. You kind of worry if you're a Vegas fan saying, you know, with management kind of doing this stuff and making it public that they're trying to do it, is that <sighs> gonna ruin with chemistry? Because chemistry is such an important thing in hockey and, and everything like that. You know, I, I wonder. And I and I remember I shared one of the articles that came out about Pacaretti, and I had asked, you know, my devils fans if they had if if you thought it made sense to go after somebody, since we're one of the few teams in the NHL that would have the space to get him if we wanted to get him. And um, Pretty much everybody said unless Vegas wants to take up fifty percent of that contract, then no, because again, it's a lot of money for a thirty-two year old. Even though he had a thirty-plus goal season, and the Devils really only have one thirty-goal scorer at the moment, and that's Kyle Palmieri. So, w- think about this situation. A rumored
1: uh, uh, a day after the rumors swirled were coming up, someone actually put out a post: What if Max Pacioretty goes back to Montreal?
0: That was another one I heard. And I think, you know, honestly, I think if Mark van got a deal that he liked, I think he would pull the trigger on that. What about you?
1: I mean, the way you, the way you, you treated him and the way how things finished in Montreal, I don't know if he wants to go back to that, that, that type of environment again, you know, I heard there were some particular issues with Patriotti before he left. There was apparently a <laughs> rift between him and Subban and uh, you know, and it's tough. And again, he's he's not cheap. So I mean, like right now, Montreal is like right up. They're like we're not over the cap. They're like right at right the cap. At it. So it'd be it's difficult to make a deal, you know. So yeah. I mean, it, it'd be interesting if he came back. I mean, he says he always loved his time in Montreal. He loved the people in Montreal. But, you yeah. know, fans loved him. So it'd be interesting to see. But honestly, I really think Vegas. Me personally, if I was Vegas, I'd be looking at other options to to shed the cap space because. This guy's, like, your second, third scorer, like, yeah. behind Mark Stone. So, yeah mean, it'd, it'd be really, like, when you're losing offense to get rid of him.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it it would be very difficult for them to, you know, find a way to replace a guy like Petrini because even though he is in his early 30s, he's still producing very well. And, yeah, he yeah. was he was hurt, um, you know, last year. And everybody's kind of wondering if this is kind of the beginning of where he starts to get on the decline. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when the season starts, whether he's playing for Vegas or someone else, um, I personally said that I think out of those three guys, petretti might unfortunately be the one that gets moved because of the contract, because of the value. Um, but I think the the guy is, out of these three that definitely I think, in my opinion, is not being moved is Mark Andre Fleury because I just think that Vegas looks at it and says we have two legit number one goaltenders. We have you know Robin Leonard, who is you know we we just gave him a big amount of money and you know a good contract and we have flurry who flurry wants to stay here he doesn't want to necessarily leave his agent is frustrated that you know flurry has gotten less and less playing time especially in the bubble but you know it's going to be a really interesting next couple of weeks to see what vegas ends up doing to kind of get cap compliant and i think for teams like the devils you know and some others that have cap space they're probably looking at that and monitoring that situation and seeing if there is a move that they can make to try to help out that team because you look at I mean the Devils went and they helped out Toronto's situation by acquiring Andreas Janssen from Toronto in exchange for Joey Anderson and that helped you know with their con- with their money situation but it's going to be really intriguing especially with the Caps staying where it is and teams losing money because of COVID and not having fans and it's going to be really wild over the next couple of weeks uh, I-, I don't know if, if you would agree with that
1: no I would definitely agree it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know me honest, like like he I can't predict the future, I can't predict what's gonna happen, but LBG 60 or what Vegas does, if it's Marshall, if it's Flurry, if it's Pratchett ready. But I agree with you, Flurry. I'd rather have two starting number ones than you know, lose lose one of your forwards because again, in a condensed season, Leonard's gonna play half, flurry's gonna play half. They're yeah. gonna basically do what Boston did last year with um
0: with Tuka Rask and Yara Halak. Yep. So uh it'd be interesting, honestly. Without a doubt. So so now let's shift to the the last uh, thing we were going to talk about, and that's the NHL season update. So I talked about this a couple times on the podcast, and once again, we're relatively in the same place that I that, I last left off. And so again, as of right now, the NHL and NHLPA are still looking at a January 13th start date. Now, what does that mean for the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs? Well, if we end up getting an official start date of January 13th, from what I'm hearing, the training camps for those seven teams would start, I believe, on December 31st, and then the other 24 teams would start on what January 3rd, I believe, like a couple of days later. I'm not quite we need three sure. days. They would have next instead of a week, they would have three days, and that's not great considering that what we were promised. But you know, again, it is what it is, and we'll see how we'll see how things go. I did get word that Nico Kishir is already on his way back to New Jersey. He just left he You know, he just left his native Switzerland, so that kind of tells you that I think things are about to be finalized over the next couple of days. Um, you know, I thought maybe by now we would have already known. Um, but I guess, uh, we're still stuck on it, but at least we got past the financial situation, which you didn't really get past it. I think they just decided that we're just going to keep what we had because it, we're wasting too much time. But, um, yeah. And then obviously a 52 or 56 game season, I would prefer 56, you know, just more games. And, uh, one thing that Pierre LeBron from Sportsnet actually tweeted out earlier this morning, uh, he said that some changes are looking to be made, as we had just talked about before, with the division realignment, you know, teams like the Dallas Stars, Minnesota Wild. I think there's a couple other teams also that are talking about the fact that they want to move to a different division. So, Elias, it, you know, what, is there anything that you're hearing that, you know, could that, that shows signs that maybe we're getting closer to an, an official announcement? I mean,
1: they are working at this point. I've been hearing that they've been working day and night to get this done, ASAP. And I actually have an interesting story for you. What? So, so um, I heard about the scenario that they were arguing about the, uh, the escrow and the salary deferral. So actually, I, said to my, I called my editor. I said, I want to write a piece on this. He goes, okay. So I wrote, literally, the title of the piece is, the NHL needs to honor its agreement with the players. Mm-hmm. I wrote a piece. I had Pierre Lebrun and Frank Sarvali contribute collaborate with me on it. And it's on the puck authority right now. And then literally two days later, we had the tweet saying, all oh, financial issues have been resolved. Now we're working on the on, on the season. There you go. So I think I find that's pretty ironic that two days after I wrote a piece about it, they actually resolved it and they actually decided to honor their agreement.
0: So so we have you to thank for finally getting that resolved. So we appreciate that, that you were able to get the NHL to get their head out of their you-know-whats and and finally get that going because that was really frustrating when it came out reportedly that the NHL was trying to get, you know, increase escrow, you know, increase the deferral money. And it was like, you know, are we really going to be like major league baseball this past year where we're really just going to try to screw over the players as much as possible. And from what I heard, speaking with some of my sources, is that, you know, a lot of the owners were actually upset with Gary Bevin that he was trying to do this, that he was slowing down the process of getting a deal done and because of the financial situation and that they wanted Gary Bettman to just be like, look, just take what we already have and let's move on here because we're trying to get something going. And with also the fact that there is a vaccine on the way and who knows, maybe March, April timeframe, we could maybe have fans, I, I don't know, you know, the, the, the NHL wants to get something done and also the fact that there's a new TV deal that's going to have to happen. And whether that's with NBC again or possibly ESPN, like we're hearing, if, you know, whatever the case. Just the fact that they got past that massive hurdle is a breath of fresh air. And and again, there's still so many things that they have to get figured out. Now, one thing that I heard, and I actually found this out via Instagram and also just from some sources, uh, the Instagram was actually the Vegas Golden Knights coverage or VGK coverage on Instagram. They said that they were hearing that a couple of cities were being considered for bubbles, You know, to play two, three games, like Major League Baseball does. And one of them was Vegas, and another actually was New Jersey, because the Devils, unlike a lot of the teams, have their practice arena connected to the arena. So, if you know, for any Devils fan listening, obviously, you've been to Prudential Center, and for those of you that don't know, this is what it is. At the Prudential Center in Newark, we have the arena, and right next to it, which is basically connected to it, you have to walk, you know, you just walk down the stairs and you're there, is the practice arena, where, you know, we had – The Metropolitan Riveters of the National Women's Hockey League play there for a while. A lot of the, you know, youth teams play there and, you know, things like that. So a lot of people are saying New Jersey would be a good place because you could have two arenas. You could have the right, you know, the main arena, and then you could also have the practice arena, which is also NHL regulated. So, you know, what are your thoughts on possibly having some of these bubbles where teams could play two, three, four games in maybe a week?
1: No, I think it's a it's a good idea and uh to that point I was looking inside trading. And uh, they said, you know, maybe for like the first ten, twenty games of the season they're talking at a hybrid a hybrid bubble. But the team's the team's preferences is to start the the, the season in all thirty one arenas. And I've actually I've been to Prudential Center as well. So I I'm very familiar with the uh, with the practice arena and the arena in Newark, so that as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean like, you know, again, not every team has that has opportunity. I mean, you look at a team like the Rangers, they're They don't even, they're not, you know, they play at Madison Square Garden, but their practice arena, I think, is out in, um, I think it's definitely out in the open uh, in New York. I think, I forgot where exactly it is. I don't I think it's right near Connecticut. I could be wrong about that, but it's pretty far away considering uh, the circumstances. Same thing with the New York Islanders, just talking about local teams. Um, You know, I don't know what the situation is in Vegas. I have no idea. Uh,
1: So Vegas plays at T-Mobile. Yep. And uh, they have City National which is actually in a neighborhood called Henderson. Okay. And I put it there because that's actually the neighborhood where, the, where the, the players live. It's called Henderson. And that's probably like 20, 30 minutes from, yep. fr- fr- from the strip, exactly. Okay. I know because I've, I've been to Vegas many a time, so uh, awesome. I'm very familiar. Also, I'll give you another example, Montreal, because I'm actually in Montreal and I'm from Montreal. And uh, our, proxim- our our bell center is downtown. Mm-hmm. But our practice facility is, again, 20, 30 minutes in a neighborhood called Brossard. Okay. So we have the Bell Complex, and then we have the Bell Center, and those oh. are probably like 20, 30 minutes apart. So when the Canadiens practice or anything, they do it um, in, in the Brossard, and then when they play games, it's at the Bell Center in Montreal.
0: There you go. So again, this is why, you know, the NHL is very open to basically any idea that makes sense. Now, we did also hear, and I'm sure, Elias, you did hear this, about there were seven or eight teams that were thinking about playing outdoors. Now, I get the idea, and I like it. I think it'd be kind of cool, but it's just way too much money. I mean, you're trying to regain some of the money that you've lost from the pandemic, from the fact you had no fans, from the fact you played in a bubble. Doing that would just take up too much time. One idea that one fan actually mentioned to me was, why don't you just take all the teams, have them go up to Lake Placid, and played all the outdoor rinks up there and play like pond hockey style. And I said, again, awesome idea. I think that would be sick, but the rinks are way too small. You want us to play, you know, pond hockey. I mean, how can we, how can they make money off of that? How can they, you know, televise it, you know, all these things. And also the fact the national women's hockey league already announced that they're going to be having a bubble at Lake Placid as well. Yep. So that's going to be an issue. So again, I think the the most likely possibility is one of two things. One, everybody just plays in their own arena, or they do do these bubbles for the first 20, 25 games. It'll be interesting. I think that a decision for everything is probably going to be made within the next week or so, maybe earlier, depending on how things are going. So Uh, I can actually give you an update on that. So
1: HLPA, basically on their end, oh, expect a vote by midweek. Okay. Then you had the Board of Governors saying expect a vote by the end of next week. Oh, so it's like, they're still arguing. And uh, to that point, I agree. Gary Bettman, what he, what he did at the beginning was, was just wrong. You know, they, they signed an agreement, they got to an agreement. Yeah. You shouldn't go back and be like, okay, well, you know, we're losing this much money. So we need to do this. We need to change this. We need to change this. So yeah. I agree it was wrong, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what they do. Um, the percentage of fans, like we're starting to see, like in NFL, like now it's like depending on the state, twenty, twenty-five percent. I mm-hmm. know in the UK now, as of last weekend, um, the teams in in the UK actually started allowing uh, two thousand fans yep. in their uh, in their soccer stadiums for like yep. Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, mm-hmm. the uh, EPL, basically. So we are getting closer to having fans in in sporting events. So I mean. In the U.S., it depends on the state. Every state, for some reason, has been different. Yeah, yep. You know, like if you if you go to New England, you can't you can't go to get into Gillette, but if you go, let's say, to like uh, Kansas City or like um,
0: Tampa, Tampa, Tampa
1: or yeah, Tampa as well. Uh, Pittsburgh, okay. I think, is, is allowing fans.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Baltimore isn't, you know. Texas, of course, you know, they're allowing fans. So yeah, it really depends. But uh, I I think that'll also be a, a big factor deciding which rinks have fans and which rinks don't Yeah, depending on it has to be on the, on the COVID numbers as well.
0: Exactly. And you know, you look at like a situation where it's going on in California where they have a basic lockdown and, you, and that's another hurdle the NHL has to deal with. Cause they say, okay, well, when is this going to be over? So that teams like the San Jose sharks, the Kings to a lesser extent, the ducks, when could they actually be allowed to play in their own stadium? Are they going to have to just basically play on the road? You look at, you know, I'll use the NFL, for example, the San Francisco 49ers, they're playing the last handful of games that technically they're the home team in Arizona, which yeah. is also a hotbed. So I don't really know exactly how that was an improvement, but anyway, um, you know, they're, they're doing that. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting. You know, with the UK, they did also, um, I think, it, I don't, I think it was Pfizer's vaccine that they just started distributing uh, yes. over there. So yes. they're getting up and going, they're getting fans. So that's a, that's a positive thing. Like I've mentioned to you guys before, Nothing has been approved yet by the FDA. It has been recommended. Health,
1: Health but, Canada officially approved the Pfizer vaccine yesterday. Okay. So next week, there's going to be 14 vaccination hubs across Canada. Yep. And they're going to start vaccinating people as of next week.
0: That's that's tremendous news. It, uh, with regards to the United States, you know, talking from the United States perspective, the FDA is supposed to, I think, vote on it today at some point and then make that decision. And then they said that most likely will be distributed within the next couple of days so probably around next week is when people here in the united states will get it and i believe we have at the moment seven or eight hubs uh most of them are in the middle of the country Uh, also interestingly enough the state with the least amount of cases which i thought was kind of interesting was uh maine actually maine and vermont i believe were the two because i was told well it's mostly woodland so there isn't a lot of people That are up there, but you know it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I am hearing the NHL is thinking about privately buying a percentage of the vaccine. I I, saw that tweet this morning. I saw the
1: tweet this morning saying that they were going to buy COVID vaccines apparently.
0: Right, and I'm. This is my thinking. This is my feelings, emotional feelings towards it. I don't think that's a good idea considering the situation. And you know, and and you know, there's a lot of people, essential workers, nurses doctors that are facing this virus day in and day out, they should be the ones that get it right away. Don't, you know, I think the NHL, the smartest thing for them to do is to wait that out. Let it, you know, let them go first, see how it progresses and then go from there. I do understand why they're doing it. I get it. But at the same time, you know, it's a, to me, it's about doing the right thing in this sense. And the right thing would be to just, you know, wait and be patient and just start the season you know, do the protocols like you were doing and then just wait it out because it will be there. We will, you know, they'll eventually get some, everybody will eventually get it. It won't be like that, but it'll eventually come to everybody at some point. So I think the NHL should stay patient. I think buying a certain percentage is really going to look bad on the NHL considering how much backlash, you know, sports teams got for getting COVID testing over a lot of other people. So... I think no,
1: I, um, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, if you have to test them for COVID, test them for COVID. Again, we were talking about a vaccine. You know, there's a lot of people that are, like, tense about taking it or not. You know, they're on the fence. And, you know, in Canada, we say we will never force you to take a vaccine. You know, if you want to do it, it's up to you. Yep. And basically, the NHL saying they're buying COVID vaccines mean, mean, basically means that, hey, you want to play in the NHL? We're going to force, we're going to force vaccinate you. And right. there might be a lot of players. I'll be like, okay, well, why are you going to vaccinate me with something? You know, I don't know what's going inside of me. Like, I'm not, I don't want to scare anybody, but uh, I was actually hearing reports about there's like four or five cases of people who took the COVID vaccine during, during the trial run. Yeah. They actually developed Bars palsy, which Ooh. actually is a paralyzation of the face. Yeah. During the trial clinic mm. with, for the Pfizer vaccine. So, you know, it's, it, it, there's a lot of people that, that are going to be scared to take it, see, you know, what's going to happen, you know, if, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to decide. But me personally, I would never force someone to take the vaccine unless, you know, depending on the situation, but I would never actually force someone to do it. If they want to do it, it's their right, it's yeah. their, their rule, you, you know, we're, we don't live in a dictatorship, where we're going to be like, okay, you get the virus, you have to take it, you know, it's right, you want it, you get it. You know, depending on the situation, if you're older, if you're younger, if you're in bad shape, if you're healthy, if you're not healthy, you know, it all yeah. depends on those, those factors.
0: I agree with you 100% on that. You know, again, I, I'm the same way. I would never force somebody to do something that they didn't want to do. You know, we live in a world where you have the right and you have choices to make and, and you have the right to make the choices that you feel comfortable with. Um, you know, I'll speak from my own personal standpoint, you know, I, unless the, you know, side effects were beyond... Like you, know, if they were like what you what you just said in the testing and things like that, that would probably be the only reason why I would be hesitant to take it. But I think other than that, if it if it really is going to help us, you know, lower the cases and really try to get things under control, I'm willing to do that. Cause it's not about and I'll speak this for myself and at least you can speak for yourself if you'd like. I would say that I would do it more to protect everyone else around me than it would be to necessarily protect myself. Because again, at the end of the day. It's about being selfless. It's about not only worrying about yourself, but worrying about your family, worrying about your loved ones, worrying about your friends, people you interact with on a day- to day basis. It's all it's all those things because, you know, we're trying to flatten the curve. We're trying to stop the, you know, you know, people from getting it, from people dying from it and things like that having complications. it's we're, we're trying to get that stuff settled here. And, you know, with hearing a vaccine, It's a positive thing. You also understandably could have some skepticism to it. You know, we're hearing some other vaccines are going to be in the works over the next couple of months. I did hear one that said that they're not going to have theirs really fully ready to go until late 2021. So, you know, we'll see what happens.
1: No, I definitely agree. And on my standpoint, me personally speaking, my situation, I'm someone who's very healthy, who has a very strong immune system. Like my dad calls me bionic. Like I... I, (laughs) Me, honestly, like I haven't had a flu. Or I haven't got sick like in like a very, very, very long time. Impressive. So I mean, me personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it because like I'm in good shape and I'm healthy, but <laughs> if it was in regards to others, like protecting others, for sure, 100% I would do it. Yep. Um. Another factor I want to bring in, I want to bring up very interesting is that um, now the fact that the vaccine's coming up because during the pandemic, because I, I actually, I traveled a lot. I spent the last two months traveling in Europe and every country had a rule whether you needed a negative PCR test, whether you didn't need a negative PCR test, whether you need to quarantine, whether you did not need to quarantine. So now with a vaccine out, um, airlines might be coming up with regulations, whereas, okay, you want to travel? You have to give us proof of vaccination. Right. And the first airline to do that was actually uh, a which is an Australian one. So basically they're saying, if you want to go to Australia, you need to be vaccinated, basically. So that's another move that the airlines might make. And then people who want to travel they're going to be like okay well I have no choice like I have to get on a plane you have to go to a different country you know yeah me personally speaking because I'm a journalist and I tend to travel a lot to do my work that might be one of the reasons why I might end up just doing it because if they end up telling me you need to be vaccinated you can't travel I have no choice I'm gonna I'm gonna do it because you know besides sports traveling is one of my hobbies is one of my passions in life and uh, Mm -hmm. if I have to do it to travel I'll definitely do it
0: yeah, I'm with you. And uh, I also tell people, hey, look, man, I mean, you know, the one the one good thing with flying is that recently prices have been kind of low. So, I mean, it can't really hurt to do it. And I could see airlines deciding to do that because they don't want to be liable at the end of the day. They don't want to be, you know, criticized for, oh, how could you, you know, let somebody who had COVID and it's like, you know, hey, look, if we're getting these, if we're forcing people to get vac- vaccinated. You know in order for them to travel you know it's kind of a good thing at the end of the day especially if they don't have any symptoms you know if they get you know i'm not look i'm not saying everybody's going to get symptoms from the vaccine i you know there is is there that possibility absolutely but there's some good possibility also that some people could you know you know get it and nothing happens you know they're, they're fine you know and that's a that's another good thing but again you know it'll be really intriguing over the next not just a couple of months but certainly over the next couple of weeks To see how things progress, you know, you know, once people start actually getting it, how things start to, you know, transpire and go from there, and uh, you know, hopefully, trying to be an optimist, optimist myself, hopefully, you know, we really start, you know, getting things improved uh, as we move along. So,
1: no, I definitely agree with that, hundred percent.
0: Well. Elias, that's, that's pretty much going to wrap it up uh, for this interview again, but you know, thank you so much for coming on. But before I let you go, as I do with all my guests, let the people know where they can find you. And also just let us know if any, any new things that you, uh, you've been up to lately.
1: Yeah. So actually um, you can find me on Facebook, Elias Larati L-A-R-A-D-I, uh, Twitter at Elias Lorati. Instagram, Elias underscore Lorati. So I'm actually currently in quarantine. I spent the last two months uh, because I'm currently a freelance sports writer, not just hockey. I do uh, tennis. I do soccer. I do uh, football and NFL. Awesome. So I actually um, I actually have family in Paris. So two months ago, I went to Paris to go see my dad and his side of the family. And I actually got to cover, I don't know if you follow tennis or not, I covered the, the French Open. Mm. Roland Garros. I did two tennis tournaments, one in Cologne. One in uh, Sofia in Bulgaria. I spent uh, three days in Ukraine for UEFA Champions League. And uh, actually now I just got credentialed for uh, the CONCACAF Champions League in Orlando next week.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not the biggest soccer fan, but I do follow it pretty well. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm a big Liverpool fan. Uh, I, have family that, I have family friends that live in Liverpool. So that's kind of how I became a fan of that team. I also am a fan of Bayern Munich uh, in Germany. Uh, I don't follow the French league because I think it's boring. That's yep. my opinion on that. Um, you know, MLS, huge New York Red Bulls fan. Uh, cause you know, they live here. They're, they're from this area. Um, you know, so that, you know, that, that, that's great that you're, you're doing that. CONCACAF should be interesting. I did hear a rumor. This is only a rumor. I did hear a rumor that CONCACAF, uh, well, FIFA and CONCACAF are talking about maybe, you know, um, the Mexican Soccer League, which the name escapes me at the top of my head, um, and also Major League Soccer are looking to possibly partner together to form, like, this massive league, which will be really interesting if that ends up being the case down the road. I don't know. But, uh,
1: I actually the- – uh, I, I heard that, too. I was actually covering um, the U.S. men's national soccer team played their last game of 2020 against El Salvador uh, two days ago. Yep. And I was actually covering it because we, we had a photographer on site and uh, my editor asked me, do you mind covering it? Because we have, we have a photographer. So I was doing, I was watching the game. I actually, I heard that as well, to be honest. And uh, I'm actually a very big uh, Real Madrid fan. Um, you can blame my uh, my uncle for that. <laughs> um, I've been following Real Madrid probably since I was like seven, eight years old. You know, back in the good old days when there was like Luis Figo, Zinedine Zidane, Ronaldo, Casillas, you know, yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo. So um Actually, it was really cool. Um, I actually, when I was in Europe, I actually got to be credentialed by Real Madrid virtually. So um, now, actually, they they told me, like, 24 hours for a press conference. If you want to be involved, be involved. I'm actually covering the Champions League virtually. So um, Real Madrid played uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach on Wednesday or Tuesday. And mm-hmm. I was able to do those press conferences. And then Lindsay Dan is, like, a big idol in our family. So mm-hmm. like, I got to be in those press conferences with him, which is pretty pretty exciting and like pretty cool to be with those those big type of people so that's been really interesting for me
0: that that is tremendous Uh, I I love hearing that you're you're doing so much work and covering many different sports not just hockey you are absolutely tremendous um you know I'm a fan of Madrid but not Real I'm actually a fan of Atletico Madrid um they're playing tomorrow by the way they are playing tomorrow and I did hear that Zinedine Zidane said this morning that uh the best team in the in La Liga is Atletico Madrid, which was kind of a nice thing to hear. Hopefully, we can actually finish the job and win the league for once, uh, which would be great. But we'll, we'll see what happens, and hopefully, they get a win tomorrow. That would be that would be nice. But uh, but Elias, again, thank you so much, man, for coming on. We really do appreciate your time and uh, your coverage for for these teams in the league, and uh, we'll definitely have you on again down the road, uh, especially if anything comes up with the teams that you're covering or anything like that. So. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate your time. Of course. What's going on, guys? It's your host, Neilville Piano. Thank you so much for checking out this week's edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. If you want to continue to listen to these episodes, here's what you do. You go on your computer and you type in Hockey Podcast Network, and you can check out the website, Hockey Podcast Network. Dot org where you can see all the logos for all the podcasts that we do and you'll see the Devils logo and you can click on that. You could also just check out all the other hockey podcasts that we have on this great network where we cover every single team in the NHL. And we have a bunch of other hockey podcasts along with those. So make sure you go check all of those out. We post new episodes every single Monday and we also post them wherever you listen to podcasts. So whether that's Google podcasts, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, just search hockey podcast network or devil state of mind, and you will find it. If You want to follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at devil state on Instagram at devil state of mind, and also on Facebook at devil state of mind on all of those. I will post when the new episodes are up as well as just interactions with you guys, the fans, as we talk about our team, the New Jersey devils and also in the bio of all those social medias, We have a link to the Devil's State of Mind website where there you can just check out all the episodes and go directly to where we have them. You can bookmark it so you can just keep it and make it very easy for you. So please go check those out as well. Again, new episodes of the podcast every single Monday. If you want to listen to me just talk about more things that are going on in sports, not just in hockey, you can follow me on the MoFobo Network podcast, which is available on Anchor and Spotify, where every week... We post new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays talking about the most up-to-date news in the wide world of sports. I also have a YouTube channel called Mofobo Network Presents. New videos come out every single Wednesday where just like on the podcast, we get a topic that we discuss that's going on right now in the wide world of sports. So go check me out on all those. Again, it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Podcast on Anchor and Spotify and M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents on YouTube, where there you can just continue to listen to me talk about things that are going on in this great world that is the world of sports. You can follow me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W and my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. And last but certainly not least, go check out my book on Amazon and Barnes Noble right now called J E T S. Pain, 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 which is about the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone who's one of those, or if you just want to support me, just go check that book out. It it chronicles all the painful memories, painful games, painful player decisions, and everything else that evolves around the New York football jets. So please go check it out. It's available for hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. And if you're a Jets fan or a football fan, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So thank you guys once again for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Piano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the awesome, amazing people that you are out there. Make sure that you're always helping out others. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!